welcome to another episode of uh, Sage Marketing, one of our 1869 podcasts. Um, my name is Martin Dini, I'm the Marketing Director at Cornell University Press, and today I'm lucky enough to be chatting with Sarah Henning Stout. She's a senior publicist over at Princeton University Press. Uh, she's been in scholarly publishing throughout, throughout her career, spans uh, four companies in two countries and she's held a range of roles in both marketing and publicity. So she's going to join us and we're really grateful to have a chance to chat to her. Well, welcome Sarah, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Martin. So uh, you are another um, uh, unlucky, uh, not quite guinea pig at this stage because I've been doing them a while, but an, uh, another unlucky person that I have tagged of being a uh, smart and intelligent marketing person who we could chat about uh, a variety of things. Does that sound about right? Well, I think that's awful generous. What yeah. I am is a willing participant. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I didn't have to force your hand too much. Um, no, so yeah, no, no. we're going to do the little kind of like trigger thing again. I'll ask you something. You ask me something to see where it goes and what we can learn about this crazy world of book marketing. Sounds good. Okay, so you are in publicity. Um, and I'm curious to know what you think, uh, when I say the next three years, what do you think? Oh, interesting. Um, so yeah, I'm in publicity now at Princeton University Press. Um, I have been in kind of the exclusively publicity field only for about three years, really. Before that, I was primarily in marketing. So, um, thinking about kind of publicity specifically and where it's headed in three years, I feel like there are two roads and they're kind of merging into one because I do see the future, especially of, you know, promoting books being a bit more of a, of a synergistic combination of marketing and publicity. I think that some of the more uh, traditional versions of publicity that have been hallmarks in the past, interviews on television shows and, um, you know, New York Times book reviews are becoming fewer and farther between. And so I think that collaboration between marketing and publicity in a joint effort toward increasing awareness of a book is, is the direction that we're all heading in. So you, you just, uh, I'm 100% in agreement, by the way, but um, you just said two really fascinating things to me. Uh, you used the term promoting books, and uh -huh. you talked about a separation, um, like a traditional separation. So I, I just want to, I'm curious on both of those things. One, um, well, they're, they're obviously somewhat linked, right? So do you think we're still in a point right now where, um, perhaps the traditionalists, let's say, uh, view marketing and publicity as two separate things? Okay. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, I think there's plenty of people out there who, who see them as, as two separate things. I think maybe not, you know, I think they see them as um, working to cross purposes, but I do think that often people are considered marketing specialists or right. publicity specialists. So you use um, promoting books. So do you see them as two separate things right now, maybe? But you're you're in, 
what you're saying is that we're rapidly moving towards an idea of promotion rather than separating mm-hmm. marketing and publicity. Is that what you're kind of thinking? Yeah, that's definitely what I'm thinking. And I, I'm thinking of it especially in the context of, you know, coming, I was at Rutgers University Press before moving to Princeton and, you know, especially at state-funded university presses where the budget line is shrinking. I think that trying to think of publicity and marketing as kind of one joint venture can work toward, you know, can help when you're dealing with with smaller budgets. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think promotion is something that a lot of like individual marketing and publicity professionals would consider their job. I just think the kind of like people who are making grander, the grander concept might not necessarily think of them as um, the same thing in the same way that I think I do just because primarily my background, which is in marketing first and then publicity and noticing the way that the skills that I developed working as a marketer have only helped me be a better publicist. Yeah, yeah. I guess I've, you know, I've always thought of publicity as the driving force, but that um, that doesn't mean to me it's separate, right? Like they're so intrinsic, like marketing can't do its job without publicity and publicity can't really do all of its job without marketing. So I've always thought of the publicity really pushing a lot of what marketing does. Mm-hmm. But, but that, as you said, there has to be this like crazy synergy, otherwise you're just... I mean, you're doing things that aren't necessarily in line with any kind of grand campaign or strategy or anything. Right. Right. Hmm. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think the next three years look like? For publicity? For publicity specifically, yeah. That's a good question. I mean, I'm a little bit removed, so I hate to, like, you know, make grand pronouncements about uh, a job that I don't necessarily do on a daily basis. (laughs) But... Um, I do think, you know, this is, this is not new, right? Like, like you said, the, um, the sort of traditional venues and outlets that we have all tended to gravitate towards are either reducing their, their sort of book coverage or just don't really even exist in the same way. Mm -hmm. And this, this is kind of like fragmentation of media in general, um, I think it's actually going to be a really dynamic, creative, uh, transformational time for publicity um, because I think there are so many opportunities now to get coverage for a book um, that are so tightly aligned to what a marketing team perceives as the audience for a book that like that it, it's actually kind of like, I mean, it's not a wild west because I don't think it's, you know, it's not just like all free for all, but at the same time, there's like a lot of opportunity, right? To stake some claims and to continue my terrible analogy, um, just <laughs> really like find spaces where a book can gain publicity that is going to be really, really um, appealing to a target audience. So I guess in, in my I guess that's where I see, I see, I don't see this, I see, you know, you hear people like, oh my God, you know, there's no, uh, there's no book review coverage anymore, which is, I think, uh, to a degree, it's not a lie. Um, But I think it's a really positive potential moment, not a negative one. 
Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. I also think you picked up on an important thing when talking about audiences. Mm. One of the things that I think, um, thinking about kind of publicity professionals in particular, one of the things I think that we could all benefit from is learning from our marketing colleagues about audience research. Because the truth is that, you know, the way that people consume media these days is so laser focused on their specific interests. Mm -hmm. But I think a familiarity of the media that caters directly to your target audience from a marketing perspective could be really beneficial when you're crafting a publicity plan for a specific book. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, it's the benefit of what we, of the fragmentation of media and audience and all of our individual like abilities to tap into what really interests us. Right. It's not that, it, you know, the negatives are obvious. We all get, uh, um, cognitive bias, right? We all just keep listening to the same thing we want to listen to. But the benefit is for us as marketing publicity types is that you can find those, like you can find those hundred people or yeah. 500 people or whatever it is, rather than saying, all right, let's hope the New York Times gets it. And there are millions of people of whom a hundred people might be interested in this book. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for sure. And, and you're right. Um, audience identification, market research, all of those things are gonna become more and more important for all aspects of, of marketing, promotion, publicity, whatever you wanna call it, and sales. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You got one for me? I do, I do. I have one that's been on my mind a lot lately, actually, um, and I'm not gonna try and uh, dwell too much on the importance of Twitter, but I do wonder what you think about the idea of influencers specifically thinking about the kind of immediate sales and marketing impact that a tweet from a famous person on twitter has yeah i think this is a really interesting one um the idea of the influencer right these big companies are now you know essentially a lot of their advertising budget is going to influence mm -hmm. it's basically it's um endorsement like, you know, the sports stars who get an endorsement with Nike, but this is on a, well, in some cases, a smaller level, but not necessarily in other cases. Um, I, if you can, so I think there's multiple aspects, so I'll, I'll dive into them separately. I think if you can get, you know, I think you had mentioned to me at some point, you know, Bill Gates or Roxanne Gay, if you can get those mm -hmm. tweet about your book in a seemingly non-advertising manner, um, is there any better publicity? I don't, think so i think we're all so connected to the uh, we're all so interested in what these people think who are, who are having a massive impact on our lives at the moment um that if they say something positive heck if, even if they just uh you know even if they are just like it's a tweet of a picture of one of them and they're walking down the street and they happen to have the book sticking out of their bag or something that's a pretty big deal, especially for, you know, those of us who are in the university press world who perhaps don't have access to these people on a daily basis, right? Um, so I think that's a really, really interesting thing that is changing in what we do. Um, the, the, it's, so we're, we're here at Cornell, you know, we've been putting a lot of 
attention on how do we go after influencers and what is an influencer for us because you know for the most part I, it's not like I can pick up the phone and call Bill Gates and say hey Bill would you tweet about this for us right I mean he's just gonna be I'm not gonna get through right <laughs> uh, but you know we always ask our um, scholarly authors who are the five most important people in your field and so then I go and look at those five people or we go and look at those five people does one of them have you know a decent chunk of followers on Twitter yeah okay let's see if we can get that person to say something about this book because again it's that segmentation of audience it's that finding out who you're really going after um, the thousand people who follow you know influential scholar a in that field they probably there's a good chance they might follow Bill Gates but I can get to scholar A who when she says, oh my God, I just got this book, I love it, you have to read it and use it in your classes. And the thousand other scholars who follow her are like, whoa, scholar A just said, you know, this is the book I've got to use in my class. That, that is influence. And that's yeah. more and more important. The weird, the, the last part, thing I'll say about this, the weird part of this is, uh, I think you would ask me, you know, is it the new New York Times review? Okay. So I think there's a massive amount of author education that we have to go through to get to the point where it is the new New York Times review. Because I think if you talk to the average author on our lists and said, okay, we're going to go after these three influencers and we're going to make that part of our campaign because they can really help swing, swing things here and, and really increase sales. Um, but we're not really going to push the New York Times because we know they're not going to review it. I think the reaction you'd get would be like, what? That, that's not marketing. You know, why aren't you sending it to the New York Times for review? And so I think even though we are seeing the benefit already, the, we're at a point where we really have to change the mindset, maybe of some of our colleagues, and also, but also more importantly of, of our authors. I agree. Yeah, I think that's probably the next hurdle. Um, are, you, and it, are you investigating or doing anything with influencers? Or oh, absolutely, yeah, definitely. I mean, I um, so I when I moved over to Princeton, took over um, the popular science, natural history, and math lists, and those I think in particular lend themselves to kind of existing communities. Mm -hmm. um, which is a very marketing term. <laughs> um, but yeah, looking at the people who are influential in specific spaces, what you were talking about um, with Scholar A, I think, you know, lends itself naturally to what we were both projecting as the direction that publicity and marketing are moving in in the future. Um, and so I think that the impact that outreach to influencers has is more immediately noticeable than maybe even conventional book reviews have been in the past. And that in order for that to be acknowledged, we're gonna have to do the hard work behind the scenes to convince people of that, both our colleagues in editorial and our authors. Yeah, yeah. So I have a, a follow-up question here for you. So uh, you're in the industry, but you're also a reader. Do you pay more, like on a personal level, you don't have to share, but hey, you're on a podcast, you might as well. Um, do you pay more attention to a, re a review or an influencer? 
hands down influencer. Yeah, I would as well. (laughs) I have actively bought books. Um, In fact, I just did this morning, I bought a new copy of DeRay McKesson's book, which is coming out uh, the day after Labor Day. And I bought that because I'm a fan of his podcast and because it has been recommended to me. I, I mean, I regularly, these days, it's the primary way that I seek out um, reading material. Yeah. I mean, it's really, I, it's been kind of impressive for me to watch the way that that has um, become a part of my practice as a consumer, especially as it informs how I do my job. Um, I also think that it's a generational thing. Um, I think that, that the new generation of readers are going to be, I mean, like, you know, they were raised with Amazon reviews. They're going to be yeah. trusting yeah. the opinions True. of others when they make their decisions on what they're going to buy. Would you ever put an Amazon review on the back of a book? That's an interesting idea. It hadn't occurred to me. I mean, I, I don't know. It feels weirdly crass, <laughs> even though why? I don't know. Would you? Okay, so I'll flip that a little bit. Would you put a National Enquirer review on the back of a book if such a thing existed? <laughs> um. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think they're probably, you know, an Amazon review should carry more clout because it's from an actual person who read the book, whereas I don't think you'd be guaranteed of that with a National Enquirer reviewer. Um, I, I, you don't have to answer. I just, you know, that the whole Amazon review thing fascinates me yeah. because just what you say, that's a person who actually read the book, right? Like an actual customer, um, who doesn't really, I mean, some of them, sure, you know, the, the, the heavy hits of reviewers on Amazon, but whatever, but most people who post a review of a book they read, either on Goodreads or Amazon or elsewhere, that their, their intent is just to tell people that they really like the book, right? Not to, I don't know, they're not trying to sway any, any uh, opinions. I just think they're so real. Yeah. Not, not the obviously fake ones, <laughs> but, the, the real read, I just feel like they're real. And yet, you're right, there's this stigma. I mean, if you turned around and, and put three Amazon reviews and a Goodreads review on the back of a scholarly book, I think people would be like, what? Yeah, I do wonder, though, if there would be some way to do it where, you know, like, I, I, I would be curious in a kind of A-B testing way. Mm-hmm. You know, if you could print if you had all the money in the world to experiment and you could print a new in paperback that had only kind of media and uh, scholarly journal um, review quotes on the back and then another version of that paperback that had only Goodreads and Amazon reviews on the back. What a, that's a fascinating A-B t- You could totally do it, by the way, because, so if you do a POD version, right, and you just have two, I mean, you're basically just doing two covers. Right. And yeah, you'd, I mean, you'd have to have a controlled environment. You'd have to, I don't know, maybe do it at a scholarly conference or something. Um, and just see if it made any, yeah, just see what the difference interest. I'd be fascinated to see the result of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to experiment. Okay. Um, you know, I'm going to, let's move on to another thing for you. Good call. <laughs> um, I don't know even if these these things necessarily exist. They do in my mind. So I, I'm going to say to you, so what's the, what's the publicity tool that you get most excited about? 
Yeah, this one um, was a little bit of a stumper for me. I was trying to figure it out because I'm torn in a couple different directions. Um, the one that I consider a publicity tool that makes me better at my job and that I rely on every day would be Cision. And I hate saying it a little bit because they're the Amazon of, you know, media content management. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, they're gonna love you. For that they, that's gonna be like a, if they hear that's gonna be a quote on their next uh, advertising campaign. Oh, completely. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean they they love basking in the glory of the fact that we're also reliant on them. <laughs> um, but yeah, they uh, you know they've recently done an update that involves a lot of kind of media monitoring tools that I found really helpful mm -hmm. because the truth is there's just it's really hard to stay on top of that stuff and to see you know where you're getting traction especially on social media um, and so a lot of the kind of you know the the data that exists out there and the monitoring can be really beneficial one of the things I use there speaking of influencers is when I have a a niche book, a book with a very specific subject or that I want to reach people who are thinking about something specifically. I have two examples. One was I had a book called Life on Mars um, that was kind of about the ethical implications of whether we should um, explore Mars further until we've determined if there's life there. Mm -hmm. And I went through Cision and was able to search for people who had been tweeting about Mars over the past six months. Huh. And that was great because Cision is itself a list, a, you know, a database of members of the media. So I was already narrowed down to only people who, you know, have media impact who had been talking about Mars. And so I actually found a couple people who I wouldn't have thought of just through my own kind of understanding of the media landscape, but people who write for publications that aren't science publications, but are interested. And those are the people that I think can be really fun to add into this influencer outreach because, you know, when you hit someone on what they're personally interested in, mm -hmm. I think the likelihood of that turning into beneficial coverage for your book is, is much higher. Absolutely. You know, in a way, what you just described there, the kind of like uh, the difficulty of monitoring a, a very segmented audience is exactly sort of the negative of what we were just talking about, The you know, the the sort of the bright future of publicity and marketing, right? These very niche targeted audiences, hyper-targeted marketing and publicity. But if you can't follow every single one of these and therefore find out what they're saying, like when there was, you know, three television stations and two major newspapers, it's like pretty easy to find out what they're saying. But so this is giving you the opportunity to even more take advantage of the positives that we were talking about with uh, the future of the, of, of the field. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's important as, you know, kind of media continues to diversify for those of us who are you know, media outreach professionals to have tools to help us figure out what's going on out there because there's no way I would spend my whole life on Twitter <laughs> if I wanted to try and figure this out organically. So is there something, um, so decision is the tool that makes your, your job that much easier, more effective, efficient. Is there something you wish that decision, or, you know, we don't necessarily have to promote decision the entire time. There's no. other alternatives. I don't, either way, it doesn't bother me. Is there something you wish it did that it didn't do? 
That's a great question. Um, I think absolutely. Um, I, yeah. Um, it's maybe an unfair one. It's maybe too big without giving it some thought, but. No, but it, but it is a good one. And, you know, I mean, there, I guess maybe more kind of one of the things that I would, would appreciate is a little more of a sense of not just what's being discussed, but kind of how it's spreading. Mm. Um, I get really, I can get really deeply nerdy on, you know, what people are talking about, why they're talking about it and how they're talking about it. And so if I, if they could somehow break it down into, you know, heat maps of which parts of the world the, you know, are kind of obsessed with Mars right now, or, you know, age demographics or just things like that. Like I, I would personally find that really interesting and I think it would inform the way that I approached publicizing, um, individual books or subject areas. So you just mentioned like a heat map type of thing and that got me to think to think of something else. So what you're sort of talking about in a way I think is like a sort of a more robust tracking system so that you can analyze it, you know, as, as it happens. Is that kind of what you're thinking about? Yeah, I think I, I, I just am a little bit enamored with big data. Yeah, so me too, which is why I started thinking about, okay, so in sports, uh, there's quite a lot of um, big data analysis that's been done on predictive levels, right? So there's a lot of these things called X something uh, data points and statistics uh, that are used to say, you know, so I'm a soccer fan, right? So there's a lot of these things that are, you know, it, it is expected that player X will get into a scoring position 10 times in a game and therefore it's expected based on, on previous data they'll score one. Right. So if what if you could have something that was like what you're talking about that said, you know what, you punch in the, the, the sort of you know, basic parameters of this book and here's where you can expect uh, media to be interested in this topic. That'd be fantastic. I wouldn't that narrow. I mean, you'd be like, OK, I'm going to hit these 10 people because based on previous big data information, they're going to be the most likely to say, Ooh, this is an exciting book. That would be something. It would. It all right. Would. You have to develop it. Yeah. All right. Let's get <laughs> on it. Let's call up Silicon Valley. <laughs> um, okay. What have you got for me? Um, okay. My next one, again, because this conversation seems to be just revolving around the internet and big data and all the yeah. like. Um, yeah. I was wondering your thoughts. So in our you know, kind of publishing decision-making meetings. Um, one of the things, one of the phrases that comes up all the time is this idea of author profile. Thinking specifically of the kind of individual, almost brand-like following that specific authors have, whether that's experts in um, specific scholarly fields um, or that's someone who just kind of has Pub, a public profile, but um, we talk about the kind of existing pool of followers that individual authors have as a means of deciding whether or not to publish their book. And I was wondering your take on the actual marketing, publicity, and sales impact of an author's profile. Yeah, I think this is becoming increasingly important, and yet I think it is still not being given 
the weight it should be. And so we call it author platform here, but same thing, author profile, right? Like what, what is the author, uh, the person who is the, the brand, as you just said, what is it and how big is it and how influential is it and how is it going to impact sales? And I think for me, it is a very close second to what is the book about um, as to whether or not um, you should publish it. I don't think we're at the point where that is a determining factor. Uh, gen- and I'm not, I'm not talking about Cornell. I'm talking about you know, generally across the board um, in the university press world. I think there's a, some of us like yourself um, who are thinking about it um, and who are sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I wish this author's profile was more impressive, right? Um, and I think we're beginning to see authors come through who have an understanding of the impact of it, partly because of a, a generational thing. Um, and I think it is just more and more and more important because what they can bring, if they have a significant profile, is people who are interested in what they say. And in the end, it's really, that's what you need, right? Like you need people to be interested in what the author is saying in order for them to buy the book. So you guys have a number of these on your list. Um, we have, you know, we have some as well. And those are like genuinely famous people. Um, you know, we have a book coming out from John Cleese next month and we are getting attention on that book that we would not get if it was written by Brad Cleese. Um, right. You know, so, that is, I mean, that's, a, that's an extreme example. The guy is known worldwide. Um, but I think, it, I think it pertains to the most scholarly monograph all the way up to the tradiest trade book. The more, you know, the more a platform of an author can, can be leveraged, the better. And so, you know, we, we talk about this every week when we're thinking about new books uh, in the marketing team. And we say, okay, well, so like, is, for instance, is this scholar, uh, like let's say they're a brand new scholar, but are they like a rising star, right? Are people already talking about them? So we're not even talking about the junk pieces of the world. We're talking about, you know, really singular discipline, but they perhaps had uh, a legend as a mentor, as a, you know, as a, a grad student, or they wrote, you know, the, they won the most prestigious uh, grad student essay prize, whatever it is. That's already a platform, that's already a profile that is perhaps bigger than the average. And I think that's a, that's a really good reason to say, yeah, let's, let's look into doing this book. That's interesting. Um, Cause I understand, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from, from kind of like the benefits um, to, you know, the press and especially um, expanding publicity reach for, you know, a press that might not expect it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so many UPs are in that space. Um, I would a little bit disagree with you because I think actually it's kind of the pendulum has swung in the opposite direction. Um, And that we, we might be verging toward putting a little bit of too much emphasis 
on an author's existing platform. Um, and I, I'm thinking specifically of the fact that, you know, as university presses, we kind of serve this mission-driven altruistic purpose yeah. of um, providing a place for the work of scholars who would not have necessarily a, a door, a, a, sorry, a foot in the door at one of the big five publishers, sure. um, or who might not think of writing a book if it weren't for the fact that our commissioning editors are so ingrained in their scholarly community and have encouraged them to do so. I think about it specifically in the sciences. We have a really good um, kind of parallel example running right now in our fall season where our, our lead science book is from Martin Rees, who's you know, probably the UK's most famous scientist. Um, yeah. And he um, is writing a book for us on the future and it's, it's short and it's accessible and it's going to get excellent press coverage. But we also have, you know, two other science books that are written by first time authors who, you know, are not necessarily known quantities in the same way, but are writing, doing really important work that then we at Princeton are positioned to get exposure for that kind of, I think, aligns with our mission. So I think one of the things that I, um, that I think can be important going forward is figuring out how to balance prioritizing authors with big platforms or profiles, certainly, but not at the detriment of what we're doing in the scholarly space. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I, I don't think that's arguable. I don't think it's all about platform, which is why I don't think it's the most important aspect. Um, however, a question back to you then. Let's say you have two books on the same project. Oh, sorry, two projects on the same topic. They come in into the into the press about the same time just so happens two people both interested in the same topic written the same book essentially author a has a way better profile than author b which one do you publish so um this is where i i kind of flash back to you and i were both at the the annual um Association of University Presses conference earlier this year. And I kind of flashed back in that question to Safia Noble's uh, and closing plenary and uh, the emphasis that she put on university presses as gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that I've been grappling with as a publicist who isn't out there getting books, <laughs> but who's responsible for bringing attention to them is you know if you in that hypothetical i would want to know you know if author a with the larger profile is you know an older white male and author b is a scholar from an underrepresented minority then maybe we should prioritize the you know publishing the work of author b because the work of author a will get recognized it's just something i've been thinking of I think it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I think it's interesting as well because I think there's a, I guess I'm not, I, I think it's important not to equate, there's various, there's a thousand different factors that go into a person's profile. 
So I think that's where things like bigger, better, those kind of uh, mm -hmm. adjectives aren't necessarily accurate, right? It's like, what is the author's profile? Because I think what you just said, which is making publishing decisions based on something uh, like a, the, who the person is, right? Not necessarily what their profile is, but who the person is. Um, but that is, is, in a sense, is part of their profile. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why I think author profile is still, to me, just behind what is the book about in terms of important yeah. a book decision or a publishing decision because you can determine what you think is author profile on any number of, of uh, data points. So yeah. if you, if you're, you know, if you're an acquiring editor and, and your uh, key thing in an author profile was what is their, uh, what is their quote unquote demographic, right? Then that's going to be really important to you. And you're going to then look at it as that a person that fits the demographic you want to publish is going to have a better profile for you and that press than a person who doesn't fit that, pro that uh, demographic. Yeah. So I guess yeah, I, I think that's the I, thing. We're all trying to figure out how we define this profile platform. Like it's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, um, it's a little bit opaque right now. <laughs> I think people get obsessed with the idea like, of equating author platform author profile to social media platform. Yeah. And I don't think the two things are the same. I think they can be one aspect of it. Like if you have a hundred thousand Twitter followers, that's probably I'm not mad at you. <laughs> right. Um, but it, if you have a hundred, it doesn't mean your profile is no good. Absolutely. Right. So yeah. Anyway. Okay. Last one, uh, last one for you. What do you wish authors knew about publicity? Gosh, that's the big one, isn't it? Yeah, that's kind of the key. <laughs> there, there are so many things. <laughs> but one you touched on, I think, relatively early in our conversation is this idea of kind of the holy grail of the book review. <laughs> um, and, you know, one of the things that I, that I often joke about with editors in particular is that editors and in my experience, publicists often take on almost a therapist role for authors <laughs> because both at the kind of crisis point of finishing a manuscript and then at the crisis point of fearing for its public reception, yeah. a lot, understandably people need, you know, need to be reassured. And so I think one of the things that would be really helpful for me for anyone who is considering writing a book or publishing a book to bear in mind that there are so many ways for people to find out about their book and that a traditional book review is not the holy grail that it perhaps once was all right well i think that's a great place to leave this <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i need to say anything about that and i hope that uh all the authors in the world stay through the uh, 40 odd minutes of our little chat yeah, really. <laughs> fine and interesting and stimulating because if they heard that that's all they need to know there we go <laughs> sarah thanks very much for joining me i really appreciate it um and enjoy the rest of your summer thanks so much martin you as well that was sarah henning stout senior publicist at princeton university press 
Um, as you can tell, she's a big fan of Sophia Noble. And um, she asked if I would uh, make sure that you all knew that the book she was referencing is Algorithms of Oppression. Um, I'm pretty sure you can find that wherever you like to buy books. So go out and do that. If you want to follow Sarah on Twitter, she tweets at snaps. If you want to follow me, it's at Martin Beanie. And you've been listening to Sage Marketing. <laughs>